All right, how are we? We good? Good. If you've got a Bible, open it up to Acts chapter 9. We're going to look at one verse today. It doesn't mean the sermon's going to be any shorter, but we're going to look at one verse. Um, in fact, the other sermons have been a little bit longer, so I apologize Rev kids and everybody in the parking lot. But we're looking at this one verse in Acts chapter 9, verse 31, as we wrap up this series that we've been in for the last several weeks called 3 to 5, talking about our vision as a church to go from level 3 to level 5, which means to go from a church that's just adding to multiplying. And you're a multiplying church when the things that we add, add. When, when we launch a campus or launch a church, then they do something. That is multiplication. And so multiplication happens when it's multiplicable, right? Or it's happening on every level all over the place and you can't really control it. That is the vision of our church. And if there is one verse that I could use to describe that vision, it would be this in Acts chapter 9, verse 31. And so as we jump into it and, and we wrap up this series today, I hope that this verse kind of really helps us understand why we're doing what we're doing and, and the purpose of what we're doing and, and really how it fits together as far as mission and vision is concerned. In fact, uh, a couple services ago, I made up a new word. I like to make up new words called mission. Uh, I did mission and vision and I called it mission. All right. And so that's just those two put together. And so that if you want to talk about mission today, that's what we're going to talk about. All right. So let's pray and ask God to bless our time together. Then we'll jump in. Father, thank you for loving us. Thank you for who you are and what you've done. And God, I pray that as we open your word now, that we would see it as your word. We would see it as authoritative in our life. Um, this is your revealed word that you have given to us to tell us about yourself. And in learning about who you are, God, we learn about who we are and what you are doing and what you ask us to do. And so God, I pray that as we approach your word today, we would see it as that. We would see it as authoritative in our life. And then God, also, would you help us to understand it? Because we know without your spirit opening our eyes to see the truth in it, without your help, God, we can't understand it. And so I pray as we open your word that you would do that now. You would help us, God, because we get help and you get glory and glory. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. So Acts chapter 9, verse 31. I hit this verse a few weeks ago, right before Thanksgiving, but it's always good to come back around to it. But this, this week, I'm going to just dig into it, just kind of word by word, phrase by phrase, to, to help us understand what happened in the early church and then how we now, as the church, are to operate in the same exact way. So look at Acts chapter 9, verse 31. It says this, So the church throughout all Judea and Galilee and Samaria had peace and was being built up. And walking in the fear of the Lord and in the comfort of the Holy Spirit, it multiplied. So that one verse right there describing what happened in the early church is really the vision verse for us as a church. Because as Revolution Church, we are a part of the church. It just uses the phrase there, the church, and it's talking on multiple levels from a global perspective and a local perspective. So let's talk just for a second about what the church is, because a lot of times there's confusion about that. This phrase there, the church, is the Greek word ekklesia or ecclesia, depending upon how you would say it. And the Greek word there is made up of two parts. Kaleo is the root word, and then ek is the prefix. The word kaleo, the root word, means to call or to summon. And so if you're calling somebody or summoning them to you, and the word ek means out of. And so the phrase ecclesia or the church means called out ones or, or ones that are called out. 
And this word here, ecclesia, was a rather new word in New Testament times because Jesus used it to describe in Matthew 16 when he said to Peter, on this rock, I will build my church. And that rock that he was talking about was not Peter, but on the confession of Peter, because Jesus wouldn't build it on just one person, because Peter would later deny Jesus, and that would have been a bad choice. And so he was talking about on this phrase, this statement, that Jesus is the Christ. On that statement, Jesus would build his ecclesia. He would build his called out ones. And so the church is a reference to the people of God and in one level of every generation. It's the church universal. People will call this the big C church. It's the overarching universal all time and all places believers. But then there's also a plural sense. There's a sense of the church in this city and this city and this city, which you see both here in this verse. But we have to understand that the church first and foremost is a people. It's not a place. The church are the called out people. And, and, and just for reference, you can turn there if you want. First Peter chapter two, but I've got it here on the screen. Verse nine and 10, Peter, the guy who confessed this to Jesus said in, in, uh, in his letter, he said, but you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of. That phrase there, called you out of, is the same word, ecclesia, just in different order. So kaleo ek is how they would say, called out of. What were we called out of? He says, we were called out of darkness into his marvelous light. Verse 10, once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. So ecclesia or church means those that are called out of darkness into light. He says, you are a people now. You weren't a people, but now you've received mercy and that mercy has made you the people of God. So when we talk about the church, we're talking about people. Again, so often in today's world, we can talk about church as a place or a building, and we've got you know Revolution Church in Canton, Revolution Church in Jasper, and in Canton, we have a building, and Jasper, we're building a building. People are like, when is that building going to be done? I don't know, hope before Jesus returns, that's the goal, right? Because of all this like record rain that we've had, uh, and so we'll talk more about that next year, but that's in process. It's not so much a place, but it's a people in certain places, and that's what you see in the next part of the verse, go back to Acts chapter 9, verse 31. It says, so the church throughout all Judea and Galilee and Samaria. So there's the church, which is the global, universal, big C people of God. So there's the people of God. There's the family. But the church only exists in geographical locations. So it says in Judea, which Judea, geographically speaking, would have been the area of Jerusalem down south by the Red Sea, if you were looking at Israel, so the southern part. Then you had Samaria just north of that, and then you had Galilee just north of that, which is by the Sea of Galilee, which the Jordan River connects those two. So these three geographical locations is where the church or the called out ones existed. They existed in those locations. And so what you see in the New Testament is you see the global singular people of God, 
But then that global singular people of God exists in individual locations or individual geographic areas. And so in the New Testament, you see letters written to the church in Rome or the church in Ephesus or the church in Galatia or the church in Corinth or the church in Thessalonica. You see all those letters, right? And all those letters were written to the church in this specific location. And so for us, what that means is Revolution Church exists in a geographical location. We are Revolution Church here in Canton, and there are other churches here in Canton that are also a part of the church. And each individual church is what makes up the family, is what makes up the global church. So let me say it to you like this. You can't be a part of the global church without being a part of a local church. Because the local church and the global church are made up of people. But therein lies the problem. People. Churches can be dysfunctional just like families can be dysfunctional because of people. Right? If it wasn't for people, your family wouldn't be so dysfunctional. Right? I mean, if it wasn't for your kids, parenting wouldn't be so hard. That's why all of you who don't have kids are so good at it, right? You're experts at it. You can tell the rest of us who have kids what we're doing wrong, and you do. Thank you for that. We really appreciate it. But, but this is why this is so important, because... People get involved in a local church and invariably dysfunction happens. And it's like, well, I'm no longer going to be a part of the church because the church is dysfunctional. Yeah, because you're a part of it. I.e., you're a part of the dysfunction. But here's, the, here's why I'm saying this. I'm saying this on one level just to kind of give us all an understanding of, hey, all of us are in process. But why I'm saying this is don't give up on the local church. The local church or the church existing in local contexts is the vehicle through which God is bringing his people into being built up. The church or the people or the family is the place where Jesus is building us up. And that's exactly what the book of Acts says next. Again, same verse. Look at the next section. So, so the church throughout all Judea and Galilee and Samaria had peace and was being built up. Had peace and was being built up. Now, in these geographical locations, again, contextually, they were there because of persecution. They were there because they existed first in Jerusalem. That's where the first Pentecost happened. There wasn't one Pentecost. You see four of them in the book of Acts as it goes through a different group of people to Ephesus, to Samaria, through, to the God-fearers. So you see this at multiple places. And so as the church expands into new cities, you saw a new Pentecost. And the reason why that happened is because persecution was happening. And so the persecution drove them out, and God used that to drive them out because he never wanted them to be a church in one geographical location. So from the beginning, the church always had a global vision. It was always one, this is how we like to say it here, one church in multiple cities. One church in multiple cities, 
Revolution Church Canton, Revolution Church Jasper, hopefully by God's grace soon, Revolution Woodstock. But now we even have one church, multiple continents, because we got Revolution Church in Kenya. And that's amazing. That's the way it should be. Every, let me say it to you like this. Every local church should have a global vision. Should see, like, yes, it is our job to go into these different geographic areas to build people up. Why? Because people need to be built up. But again, here lies the problem. It's hard work to build people up. This is why I love that in Acts, it is written in the passive voice. Look back at it. It says the church had peace and the church was being built up. Somebody else was doing the building. Somebody else was doing the building. The good news for all of us dysfunctional people is there's someone else that's building us up. It's not us building ourselves up. It's not even the pastors building up the church. We are the under shepherds. The good news is we have a chief shepherd and his name is Jesus. In fact, this is exactly what Jesus said in Matthew 16, 18, when he told Peter on this rock, I will build my church. So who's doing the building? <clears throat> Come on. That was the easy answer. This is church. Jesus is always the answer. All right. <laughs> Let's try that again. Who's doing the building? Jesus. Jesus. Aren't you, aren't you happy for that? Aren't you so happy and joyful and restful that Jesus said, come to him and he'll do the heavy lifting? Here's why that brings me such comfort as a pastor, because pastoring is just as hard as parenting. It's, it's so comforting to me to know that Jesus is the one who's actually doing the building. This is why this is written in, in what's called the divine passive. Anytime a word in the New Testament is in the passive voice with God as the subject, it's called divine passive because God's doing the work and we are receiving it. So when the book of Acts says the church was being built up, it was Jesus that was doing the building. Now, again, just for another reference, you can flip back over to 1 Peter chapter 2, the exact same chapter where I just was. Look at verse 4 and 5. It says, as you come to him, a living stone rejected by men, but in the sight of God, chosen and precious, I always think of uh, the ring, you know, Lord of the Rings, verse five, you yourselves, like I was trying to say his name, I couldn't remember his name, just the creepy dude, you know what I'm talking about, right? Yeah, that guy, you yourselves, like living stones are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. Now, read that verse in context. As you come to him, who's the him? Jesus. About half of you learned the lesson. All right, this is church. Jesus is the answer. Let's try that again. Who's the him? Jesus. As you come to him, who is he? He's the living stone. This is what makes Christianity different from any other religion in the world. I say it often because we need to understand this. Our founder is not dead. He is alive right now, right now. He is alive. You're like, well, I can't see him. 
The reason being is because he's sitting at the right hand of the Father, and he's interceding on our behalf, and he said it's actually good that he goes, because when he left, he gave us the Holy Spirit, and so now Jesus isn't out here in physical form. He's in here in spiritual form through the presence of the Holy Spirit. That's how he does the building. Yeah. That's how he does the building. He does the building in you. This is why Paul calls us the temple. We are the temple. And this here he uses the phrase, or Peter uses the phrase, a spiritual house. We are being built up into this house. This house is what houses the Spirit of God. So here's the good news. God is building you up in your relationship with him. This is so comforting to me because I don't know about you. I'm in process. What that means is I'm dysfunctional. And here's what I want you to hear me say. And I used to say this often when I first came. Do you know how healthy it is to know that you're dysfunctional? That's my only comfort. The most dysfunctional people are the ones who don't know they are. Let me say that again for all you in the back. All right. The most dysfunctional are the ones who don't know that they're dysfunctional. You ever listen to people having conversations and you're like, they got no clue that they dysfunctional, right? And here's the other definition of dysfunctional. The harder you try, the worse it gets. The harder you try, the worse it's getting. Dysfunctional. Here's the good news. The good news is if you can admit your dysfunction, if you can admit to Jesus, I can't save myself, I need you to help me, then that's actually healthy, and you can receive the Holy Spirit and the grace that comes through the Holy Spirit, and he'll actually do the building so that you become less and less dysfunctional and more and more like him. So here's why this is so comforting to me. He is building me up. This is what's crazy. It's present tense, passive voice which means it's happening right now, but he's doing the work, not me. We're being built up. The reason why this is so comforting to me is because the mission of our church is simply that. Love Jesus, grow people. Here's why we say it that way. In January, next month, it's crazy to me, but I will have been the pastor here for nine years next month. That's just crazy. Thank you. Thank you. you. You didn't have to clap, but I appreciate it. All right. And when I came nine years ago, our church was in a far different place. We weren't meeting here at this location in Canton. We were portable. We were meeting at the Cherokee County Conference Center. We'd met there for about a year. Prior to that, we met at the movie theater. Prior to that, we met at the old Teasley Middle School. And our founding pastor had left. Some of you were here during that time. And our church was just in a very volatile, crazy time. And when I came in January, two things that intentionally, and I wasn't smart enough to do this. This was just the Lord by his grace. Two things intentionally I wanted to build our church on. I wanted to build our church on a person, and that person is not me. 
And I wanted to build our church on a process of how people grow. The person is Jesus. And if you come to welcome lunch later uh, after the services, we'll talk more about this. But here's always my joke. Our, vision, our mission is love Jesus, not love Jason. And here's got the irony. My name in English has five letters. Jesus in English has five letters. So my joke is don't get the wrong five letters. I am not the senior pastor of this church. This is not my church. You're not my people. Now, here's why I say that. I say that because I can't build you up. Jesus can. That's the good news. I'm by God's grace. I'm the lead pastor right now. I won't be the lead pastor forever. I don't live forever. I'm an interim pastor. We're all interim. Jesus is the senior pastor. This is his church. You're his people. Here's the good news. Jesus is alive. He'll always be the senior pastor, right? So I wanted our church to be built on the person of Jesus, because if churches are not careful, it can be built on the personality of its lead pastor. I didn't want that to be the case here. I wanted the church to be built on Jesus, the person and work of Christ and the process of growth. Now, when we say grow people, what we're saying is this phrase here being built up. How does Jesus build you up? How does he do it? Well, we read it in the Bible over and over again. We got the process from just Luke chapter eight, what's typically called the parable of the soils or the parable of the sower. There's a process. You can see it as four things or you can see it as four steps. Very simply, I'll explain them to you. Step one in the process, G, the gospel. So the word grow is an acronym, G-R-O-W. G is for the gospel. So step one in the growth process is trust Jesus. Paul said it in 1 Corinthians chapter 1 when he said he planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the growth. Listen to me. No growth happens in your life without Jesus. None. No growth. You're like, well, I'm a better person. Yeah, but that's just religion. And the problem is the better you get, the more prideful you become, which actually the worse you are. So you're not as good as you think. No growth happens without Jesus. So step one is trust Jesus. Have a relationship with Jesus. Come to the end of yourself. Accept him. Trust him. Then step two is get baptized. We did baptisms last week. We'll do baptisms again. We do them about every other month around here. We do them again in January as a part of the abide um, season of prayer, fasting, and worship that we're doing, the 21 days of prayer and fasting. We'll talk more about that in January. Then you live on mission. So that's the gospel. Very simple. You trust Jesus, get baptized, live on mission, join Jesus in this mission. Step two, you trust, after you trust Jesus, the R is relationships. That's primarily what the church is about. Relationships. How we say it here is join a team, join a group, join the church. God uses the church to help grow you. So you need relationships. So when you join a team, it's not just about serving. It's about getting in relationships with other people. That's when it goes from being a friendly church to a church with friends. You get to know people. People get to know you. You do groups. Groups are very simply where people meet in homes all over the different counties that we now reach, and you go over the message. So you go over what we talk about on Sundays. Then you live on mission together. You serve together, and then you multiply. So that's the primary way of doing relationships. The reason why we do 
groups off-site and not on-site in, in classes, which is typically like Sunday school, is because it's cheaper to use your houses for free than to build buildings. Normally, that's funnier. I guess you guys did it. But for real, right? I mean, like it's, we use your houses, and the reason why is because when it's at your house, then you have to lead that. If it's here at the church, then normally a staff person is leading it. But we are intentional about pushing those off campus because we want you to shepherd those people. So as group leaders, that's the goal of groups. That's where relationships happen. And yeah, that's what the church did in Acts chapter 2. They met at the temple, then they met in homes. So that's relationships. Then you join the church. That's when you become what we call a steward. You become responsible for the church, and the church is responsible for you. So that's part of the process, the G and the R. Let me hit the O2, the, O2, the other two, the O and the W, real quick. O is obedience. Obedience is where, in this step in the process, you start obeying the commands that God gave us. Now, we've done a lot of different things to try to accomplish that from a corporate standpoint. We've had Bible studies, we've had conferences, and some of those things we still do and will continue to do. But here's what we've realized. We've realized that obedience or discipleship occurs best in relationships, not in programs. And so we'll be talking a lot more about this next year as we roll this out in groups and in teams where people that are group leaders and team leaders are going to start discipling people more intentionally, more relationally, as opposed to just having things here at the building. But the whole goal of obedience is being discipled into the commands that God gave us to obey him. The W is works. Good works, and that work is ultimately making disciples. So here's what I want you to see. Very simply, the way Jesus builds you up, the way he builds you up is as you trust him, you get connected in relationships, you learn to obey him, and then you teach others to do the same. Does that make sense? Very simple process. And so our church, the mission of our church is to connect you to Jesus, right? For you to love Jesus and for Jesus to build you in this process that we just simply say, grow people. That's how he does it. He builds you through the ministry of the church and the church is the people and therein lies the key to multiplication. The people taking ownership of the mission of the church. Taking ownership of the mission of the church who see it is my responsibility to help people trust Jesus, to help people get baptized, to help people live on mission, to help people get connected in relationships, to help people get uh, to obey, to help people to do good works. That's the key to multiplication. And here's why I love this phrase that Peter says, to build you up into a spiritual house, to be a holy priesthood. Now he says two things there, to be a holy priesthood and to offer spiritual sacrifices. So these two things, let me hit them, being and doing. So when you come to Christ, he saves you, he's building you, he makes you into being a priest. Now stop and think about that for a second. New Testament, biblically speaking, every single believer is a priest. Now, the church doesn't normally function that way. 
Because Old Testament speaking, only a select group of people, i.e. the Levites, could be a priest. And then within that, you had the high priest every year. And only the high priest could go in and offer sacrifices on behalf of all the people. Well, the book of Hebrews says that Jesus is our high priest. And when he died on the cross, he went into the Holy of Holies and separated the veil. So now not only a select group of people get to become before God, but all people in Christ get to come before God. So listen, if you are in Christ, you're a priest. Now that messes with our minds because priests are the holy people or priests are the ones who talk to, to God. And in Protestant world, we don't use the term priest. We use the term pastor. But I want you to understand something. I don't have access to God that you don't have. What I mean by that is you have the same access as me. And I joke about this right back here is not a red phone that I can call Jesus. Hey, Jesus, this is what she needs, right? Because Jesus is the red phone. Jesus is our high priest and you are in connection with him. You're a priest. You now have direct access to God, the father through Christ. And when you get that, and when you understand that, now your whole world changes because you understand that as a priest, that's who you are, you've got a job to do, which is to offer spiritual sacrifices. Now, here's where you need to understand. In the Old Testament, their sacrificial system was far different from ours, and aren't you glad we're no longer under that sacrificial system? Church services would be a lot different today if you was bringing bulls and I slaughtering them, right? Like... Thank God we can use carpet, right? I mean, this would just be a far different experience for us. We don't have to do that now because Jesus is the sacrificial lamb. He was slaughtered once for all. But it doesn't mean we don't offer sacrifices. Now the sacrifice is, according to Romans 12:1, you. Paul said it like this, in view of God's mercy, offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, living sacrifice, living stones. Here's the problem with a living sacrifice though. A living sacrifice tends to walk off the altar when it's about to be sacrificed. Let me ask it to you like this. How many of you have made commitments to God only on Monday to walk away from them? That should be every hand. All right. There's a lot more dysfunctionalness in this room. I'm just saying, just saying, right? The problem with the living, it's much easier to offer a dead sacrifice. You kill it, it ain't going nowhere. Now, though, the Bible says we offer ourselves, our bodies as living sacrifices. What that means is this, as a priest, what you offer now is yourself all the time where you say to God, God, my life is yours. Everything I have is yours. My marriage is yours. My kids are yours. My house is yours. My cars are yours. My time is yours. My job is yours. Whatever you say to do, I'll do it. That's what it means to be a priest who's offering living sacrifices. Now, here's why this is so important and why I'm stressing it. It's through the offering of yourself that you're built up. 
It's through the offering of your life that you're built up. The problem, though, again, we're all dysfunctional, is you hear a message about whatever it is, tithing, serving, growing, joining, and you think, man, the church just wants something from me. Instead of thinking the church wants something for you. And the reason why most of us aren't as far along in the process of being built up, it's because we keep walking off the altar of doing what he's asking us to do. So let me help you. Whatever the commands that God tells you, just do them. Just do them. And in doing them, he'll build you up. Now, remember, we're all in process. And God is not going to judge you in your process based upon where I am in my process. As long as you're taking your next step in the process. As you're offering spiritual sacrifices. So I don't know what those are for you. I know where I'm at. There are certain things in my life I just don't struggle with. And I'm, I'm not saying that like I'm some kind of like polished dude, because there are things in my life I struggle with that if you were like, what? Uh, yeah, I don't struggle with that. I know what I struggle with. You don't struggle with it. You struggle with it. I don't struggle with. And the last thing in the world I should do is, is just point fingers at what you struggle with and act like I'm so good. But there are some things in my life that were just God said to do it and I do it. But then there's some things in my life where he says to do and I'm like, are you sure that's what you want me to do? You sure? And I've got this thing that the Bible calls flesh. And the Bible says that my flesh wages war against my spirit. My flesh talks to me and says, you don't want to do that. It's going to cost you too much time. It's going to cost you too much money. Until I realize that I have a heavenly father that loves me. Now, now go back to Acts chapter 9, verse 31. I, I got to do this quickly. Two things I want to show to you here. So the church throughout all Judea and Galilee and Samaria had peace and was being built up. Now listen to this next phrase. And walking in the fear of the Lord and in the comfort of the Holy Spirit. Walking in the fear of the Lord and the comfort of the Holy Spirit. That phrase there, walking, means to live or behave. So how do priests behave? What are our spiritual sacrifices? Walking in the fear of the Lord and the comfort of the Holy Spirit. So let me break those two down for us. The fear of the Lord is something we don't like talking about because it feels so negative to us. And we use verses like, well, perfect love casts out all fear. So now I'm not afraid of God. You have to understand the fear of the Lord is different in the sense of just saying, I'm afraid of God. There is a healthy fear. And the best way I can explain this, and I've done this before, is when I was growing up, the best gift that God ever gave me was a really big and really strong father. My, and I've said this, he's shrunk a little bit now, but he's over 6'4", 300 pounds, wears a size 24 ring. That hasn't changed. I didn't get in trouble because I was afraid of my dad. I wasn't afraid of the police. I respected the police. I was afraid of my father. And he used to joke all the time, if you get in jail, don't call me. Don't worry. The bars are keeping me separated from you. I ain't calling you. 
There was a lot of things as a kid I didn't do because I was afraid my father would find out. Now, hear me again. We don't even, we don't even have categories for this anymore. My father did not beat me. My father did not abuse me. My father disciplined me. And yes, he would spank me, but he did that to correct me because according to my older brother and older sister, I really needed it. I had a healthy fear of my father. Here's what I'm saying to you, church. God is your heavenly father. You need to have a healthy fear of him. Jesus said in Luke chapter 12, don't fear those who can kill the body. Fear, the, fear him who after the body has the power to throw your soul in hell. My friends, do not misunderstand. Your father is the creator of everything. Every known thing that we know about the universe, all the galaxies, all the stars, all the planets, the book of Psalms says he laid those out by the fingers of his hand. That's how big he is. And so when it comes to offering spiritual sacrifices, you need to understand something. If we don't offer them, we need to understand there are consequences. Even in the New Testament, you go back and read Acts chapter 5, a fantastic message for you to read about Ananias and Sapphira. You're like, oh, what happened to them? They offered sacrifices and lied about it, and God turned them into dust. You know what the next verse is? There was great fear of the Lord among the church. Yeah, you think so? Yeah, some of y'all come up and offer a sacrifice. This everything, that's everything. I ain't lying to, to God. Yeah. So, so hear me, church. And, and again, this is like, I don't like this message. I don't like this message. I don't like this message. You need to fear the Lord. And, and what fear means is you need to understand where everything in your life comes from. Just this week, my wife and daughter and I were at a play and Natalie wanted cotton candy and I told her no. Sometimes I say no just to see their reaction, right? How do you react when God tells you no? So her and Lindsay went to the bathroom. I wanted popcorn, right? It's my money. So, um, <laughs> and I went and got popcorn and I bought some cotton candy. So we're sitting there and Lindsay and Natalie come out of the bathroom with a long, long line of the women's bathroom. God bless y'all, right? And so they come walking out. I'm holding the popcorn. I got the cotton candy right here. So Lindsay gets the popcorn because let's be honest, it was really for her. And, um, and then I pulled out the cotton candy and then Natalie was like, oh my gosh, cotton candy. So we go sit down and my nine-year-old daughter opens up the cotton candy, gets the first piece and hands it to me. I said, thank you, babe. So I knew you were going to ask for it anyway. Because <laughs> those of you who've been around here, I've said that's how I teach my kids to tithe. They give me first what I give to them. And I, I, this is what I said to Natalie. Thank you, Natalie, for giving me some of my cotton candy. And she just smiled and laughed and enjoyed her cotton candy. Because she knew it was mine. I bought it and gave it to her. I'm saying that to you to say something. My daughter needs to understand that everything she has was mine first. 
everything. And so there's a healthy fear in that. And so when it comes to you obeying God, you need to understand something. Everything you have was his first. Everything. you like, it was my job and my money with what body? With what oxygen you be breathing? That's my real ghetto way of getting this down to you, all right? But then there's a next phrase there that I want you to understand. In the fear of the Lord and in the comfort of the Holy Spirit. You need to fear God, but you need to understand something. The God of all creation is your father. He's your father. The second best thing about growing up with a father that I was fearful of is my dad can beat up your dad. Do you know how comforting it was to know who my father was? If I was with my father, I was not afraid. You're like, well, you just said you had fear of your father. Yeah, I had fear of what he could do, but I also had fear of what he could do to you. <laughs> and that's the juxtaposition. And that's why I love this verse. I love this verse is because you need to understand who God is and you need to worship him as God. You need to put him first and you need to give him best. But you also need to understand that he does all of that. He gives you all those commands as a way to build you up, to comfort you, to remind you that there's more to life than cotton candy. So here's how I'm saying to you. In this process of being built up, put God first and give God the best. Put him first and give him the best with your time, with your talents, with your treasures in the morning. Start tomorrow. Give him five minutes. Give him five minutes before your feet ever touch the ground, before you ever pick up your phone and start scrolling through Instagram. Just give him five and just lay there in your pillow. You don't even have to do anything for him. He doesn't want you to do anything for him. All he wants you to recognize is who he is and what he wants to do. So say, Father, I receive from you. Thank you for loving me. Today, before I get busy doing anything else, I need you. I need your grace. I need you to empower me. I want to go offer these sacrifices that you've called me to do, but I can't do it without you. Give him five. First and best. When it comes to tithing, take a step. If you're not there yet, that's all right. We're in process. Just take a step towards it and put him first and give him your best. Here's why. He has way more power to bless you than MasterCard does. MasterCard's just going to charge you for what you get from them. Because it's yours. We'd be like, I'm going to put it on credit. Yeah, well, that's going to cost you about 17% more than what you just paid for it. They don't have the power to bless you. But when you're walking in the fear of the Lord and the comfort of the Holy Spirit, you understand that any command he gives you is for your good and for his glory. And then the last one is this. Walking in the fear of the Lord and the comfort of the Holy Spirit. Look at the last two words there in Acts 9.31. It multiplied. It, the church the people multiplied. So we put all this together now. 
Put all this together. God is building you up through the sacrifice of Christ, through the power of the Holy Spirit, in the presence of the people, which is the church. And all he simply wants to do is to multiply that in more people. So the mission of our church is to love Jesus and grow people. That's the process of you being built up. And all I'm saying is we want to multiply that to more cities. So that this verse would read, so the church throughout all Jasper and Canton and Woodstock had peace and was being built up and walking in the fear of the Lord and the comfort of the Holy Spirit, it multiplied. The same God who did it then wants to do it now. And how he wants to do it now is in and through you, in and through me, in and through us, the church. And the key to this multiplication happening, the key is you taking responsibility to love Jesus and grow people. Going back to parenting, none of you were ready to be a parent when you became a parent, right? You weren't ready. But you know what made you a good parent? Is you started parenting. And you failed and you figured it out. And you failed and you figured it out. That's the same way with discipling people. When you take the ownership of not only you being a disciple, but you discipling other people, the church multiplies and we'll fail, but we'll figure it out. We'll fail and we'll figure it out. And in the process, he'll build us up. And more and more people will come to Jesus and the church will multiply and Jesus will return. But that will not happen until we take personal responsibility and say things like this. No one's going to hell in my town. No one's going to hell in Canton. By God, if I can do anything about it. Not in Jasper, not in Woodstock, not in Kenya, not in Haiti, and wherever else he sends us, who knows? It may even be as far as coming. Woo, who knows? Man, I preach all day. Let's pray. Father, thank you. Thank you for what you're doing. Thank you for this process that you're working in us. That by your spirit, through the sacrifice of your son, we are being built up. And God, I know that there are people here who have not even started that process, who have not even trusted you. And God, I pray right now you'd save them. I know, God, there are people who your eyes, their eyes are being opened. You are regenerating them. You are letting them see the truth of who Jesus is. And now it's their opportunity to respond in faith and trust you. So nobody looking around or talking. If you want to trust Jesus for the first time, that first step in that process where you come to him,
the living stone that was rejected for you. You trust him, you'll be saved. So if you want to trust him, I'm going to give you an opportunity to pray, not out loud, but repeat after me. And it goes like this. Say, Father, thank you for loving me that you sent your son to die in my place for my sins. I ask you to save me, forgive me. I give you my life. Thank you for loving me. Now, again, nobody looking around or talking, if you just prayed that for the first time, would you very simply just lift your hand up so we can see that? Thank you. We got men and women walking around, going to put a gift in your hand. When they do, you can put your hand down. But then those of us who would say that you've trusted Jesus, but you're just not as far along in the process as you thought you would be, I want you to understand something. Jesus is committed to building you up. He sees it as his personal responsibility because you are his church. You are his bride. And so for you, no matter where you are in the process, the solution is the same. Come to him. Come to him. Don't ever stop coming to him. Don't ever stop abiding in him. Don't ever stop obeying him. And whatever commands you're struggling with to obey him, ask him to give you the power to obey. Because that's the beauty of the gospel. Not only does he command it, he empowers it. Every religion in the, on the planet has commands. Christianity is the only one who gives the power to obey them. Realize that you are a priest and God does want you to offer your life. To give him first and best. And when you give him first and best, he builds you. And then all of us, let's take it as our personal responsibility to not only let Jesus build us, but to join him in building others. To take this mission of growing people on ourselves, to join him in the building of others. Because as we join him in the building of others, we're built ourselves. So let's take this vision of multiplying this mission of growing people personal. As we close out one year and start another, let's start it with that saying this year, I will help other people grow. Father, we ask you to do this. We know you want to do it because this is what you did do. This is what you are doing. And we're just simply re-Jesusing our church realigning our church to what you're doing. And we're saying we want to be about this vision of multiplying this mission of building people throughout all the cities that you've called us to go. In Jesus' name, amen.